Well, if you uh, do have a Bible with you this evening, we're turning back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And perhaps I could draw your attention especially to verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, where we read this, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. And the subject that I wanted to consider this evening with you is times and season. Times and season, especially we might say, thinking of a time for God. A time for God. This morning we were considering, weren't we, Ruth? And part of the book of Ruth, and you know the story there, how uh, Ruth, of course, was part of the line of Christ, and of course she became part of the line of David. David was her great-grandson. And Ecclesiastes was written by David's son, King Solomon. And Solomon was a king whose early years were marked, weren't they, with great glory and splendor and power. He had been blessed with great wisdom and great wealth. And of course his kingdom enjoyed really unparalleled success and peace and prosperity. And Solomon was a man who knew God and who loved God. And yet in the middle years of Solomon's life, he was turned, wasn't he, turned away by the many pagan wives that he had married and turned to serve and worship idolatrous uh, gods and to bow down and to serve the gods of the nations around him. He had lived a life that had been for God and in worship of God, and yet sadly he fell into sin. And, and in those middle years of his life, he lived for a time, as it were, without God. A time where he was seeking only the pleasures of this world. But as we come to this intriguing book this evening, King Solomon is now an old man, an elderly man. A man that by the grace of God has been restored. He had foolishly erred and sinned, But now here in this book, we don't see Solomon as this great king at his coronation, you know, climbing the steps of that glorious throne of ivory. Instead, we find him at the beginning of this book in chapter one. He's climbing the steps of a pulpit and he's about to preach a sermon. It's the sermon of a penitent man. It's the sermon of a man who, as he draws his life to a close, seeks to warn others to live not as he lived, but to live a life for God. He says, in a sense, you know, don't do as I did. Do as I now tell you, now as I say. He says, do not seek the things of this world with all its passing pleasures and its emptiness. But in a sense, this whole book is encouraging us to seek ye first the kingdom of God. And at the beginning of this book, in chapter 1 and verse 2, like I suppose we might say, like all preachers, he begins his sermon by announcing his text there in chapter 1 and verse 2. He says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Everything in this life, he says, is vanity. It's worthless. It's insufficient. The word vanity, of course, has this idea of, of a vapor that just vanishes away, that just disappears. 
And Solomon says here, look, everything in this world, even in its highest form, is just utterly worthless. The highest form of pleasure, the highest form of philosophy, the highest form of experience. When all of these are weighed in the balances, everything in the end is found to be wanting. And Solomon in this sermon, in a sense, he looks back over the middle years of his life and he shows us what it's like to live without God. He shows to us the vanity and the futility of a life rejecting our maker. Now, of course, unknowingly to Solomon, those middle years of his life, in a sense, were like one great experiment. He tried and tested various avenues of life. He, he had an aim, as it were, to this experiment, a hypothesis, we might say, to this experiment. He, he wanted to find happiness and satisfaction without God in his life. It was, in a sense, he was saying, forget God. Get rid of God for a moment. I don't want God in my life. Let me live as I please. And he threw himself into this experiment with an intense energy. Solomon, in this book, he also details the materials that he used in this experiment and the method that he employed. He records the results of what happened at each stage of the, of the experiment. We haven't time this evening to go through all the different things that he explored, all the different avenues that he tried. But just notice what he does in verse 1. He tries to experiment and uh, increase in knowledge. That was his great aim in in chapter 1 and verses 12 through to the end. Knowledge, he pursued that. Chapter 2, he begins to pursue pleasure in particular. And you can read all the various branches of pleasure that he tested. Drink, you'll find there in chapter 2. You'll find building projects, landscape gardening, possessions, wealth, even music. He gave himself up to pursue all these things. And yet he came to the conclusion that all of it was vexation of spirit. He then moved on to preeminence. He thought maybe this would give him happiness. He thinks this will satisfy me. But then he realizes that even the most exalted man with all the greatest influence will eventually die. And then lastly, in chapter 2, he turns to labor. He thinks that if he puts himself into all great sort of projects and all sorts of labor, that that will provide him with satisfaction in life. And yet he realizes that everything that we do will just be left behind for someone else to take. And so Solomon tries all these various avenues, as I said, but he, he finds it all to be vanity. And I think, friends, just before we really get into this passage in chapter 3, it's worth just pausing here and saying there's a warning to us, isn't there? Are we trying to live without God? Do we think that whatever avenue of life that we're pursuing currently, whatever it is that we're seeking to satisfy ourselves, do we think this is going to satisfy us? Solomon's experiment is a warning to any of us here listening tonight that we can never find satisfaction whilst seeking to live without God. But this evening we come to chapter 3 and Solomon continues to present to us his findings in this this great experiment that he's engaged in. And he he brings up this great subject of time here and seasons at the beginning of chapter 3. And I want us to think about this this evening and focus on these verses with you as we think about this subject of time and thinking of time without God. And I just want to think about three words in connection with this passage that we read from. Three words that 
Solomon is really drawing our attention to. And those three words are frailty, sovereignty, and eternity. Frailty, sovereignty, and eternity. Then let's think about this first word this evening as we think of these verses here in chapter 3. And that's frailty. I'm thinking here particularly of man's frailty, our frailty. Solomon says in this, this very beautiful passage of poetry, he really he sums up the whole of our lives, doesn't he? He talks about a time to be born there in, chapter, in verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. He expresses there just in a few words the entire circle and, and compass of our lives. And in the list that, that follows, Solomon outlines these various events that happen throughout our existence here on earth. But there's one thing that he's drawing our attention to here as we think about all these different things, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted and so on. And there's this one thing that they all have in common, and that is that we have little or no control over them. He says there's a season a time to every purpose under the heaven. There are fixed boundaries, fixed times which man cannot remove or change. We could work our way through this list this evening and we could draw out the significance of each one of these things and and yet as you look at them, you'll realise that we're, in a sense, utterly helpless really to control these events. You think about it, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to plant, we can't really control the seasons There's a time, isn't there, for sowing. There's a time for reaping. A time to weep and a time to laugh there in verse 4. You think about that. We can't control those moments that come into our life that bring us great joy and those times that bring us great sadness. Somebody rings you on the phone and you hear that somebody that you loved has passed away and it brings you sadness, it brings tears to your eyes. There was nothing you could do to control it. Nor can you control the days of perhaps of great happiness. A son or daughter gets married, a time of great rejoicing. Was there much that you could do to control that that moment? There's a time to lose and a time to get. There's a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to rend, a time to sow. All these things, Solomon says to us, look, they, they have their appointed moment, but there's so much, in a sense, that they're outside of all of our control. Particularly, you notice there, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Think about the, the times we live in at the moment. We can't embrace, we can't shake hands, we can't grab hold of a loved one and give them a hug, and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's what Solomon says to us here. And the very first one is a particular, brings this point, this point home, doesn't it? A time to be born and a time to die. Could you control the day of your birth? Did you have some sort of sway and influence as to the the day and the time and the manner in which you were born? What about the day of your death? When it comes to that day, do you think that you'll have the power to extend your life for one moment? No, you see, Solomon makes this point, we're utterly helpless. And Solomon gives this great list of events here and these emotions that come into everyone's lives at some point. and, And it's like watching a great clock. You know a great clock, it has all its moving, moving parts. My, uh, my grandfather was uh, somebody who used to 
buy antiques and his house was full of clocks. None of them told the right time. They all told a different time. But it was great and fascinating to watch all the parts moving, the cogs turning, the pendulum swinging. And, and Solomon says here, look, at one point this pendulum is over on one side, but then the next it swings to the other. A cog, one minute it's up and the next minute it's down. Time, in a sense, is unrelenting and unforgiving. It never stops, does it? And the clock of man's destiny, it keeps moving steadily onwards and surely on and on and on. You see, we may like to think that we are the masters of our own destiny. We may wishfully imagine that we are free, that we can control our fates, that we can be anything that we want to be, that we can do whatever we want to do. But Solomon says to us here, there are times and seasons You see, we are not free. Instead, we're frail. That's the point that Solomon's drawing to and seeking to emphasize. Man's impotence and weakness. We're helpless. We're nothing. The changes and events of this world are outside of our power. We cannot alter their course. We are creatures that are moved by these times and seasons. And it shows to us that our lives are so fragile. They're so short, and they're so so fleeting, aren't they? That's why we read those words in James chapter 4, where James there, he reminds us, doesn't he, of the frailty and the impotence that that we have, that we are utterly helpless. He describes our life there, doesn't he, that we are like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And he says we like to make plans, don't we? We like to say, you know, we're going to do this tomorrow, or we're going to do that in a week's time, and we're going to go into such and such a city. And yet he says, you don't know what you don't today, you don't know what's on the morrow, do you? You've got absolutely no idea. We, we've got no, we've got, we, we cannot understand these things. They're beyond our control. I was talking to somebody just this week, and a parent, and he's at the end of his tether from having to homeschool all his children. And he said, I'm just looking forward to March the 8th because the schools are going back on March the 8th. He said it with confidence. And yet we've got no idea. We love to plan ahead, don't we, that we're going to do this and that. But James says to us, you know not what's on the morrow. Your life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Our lives are so transient, Moses says that our life is like a tale that is told, just like a a short story. We have a beginning, we have a middle, and we have an end. Our life, Job says, is swifter than a weaver's shuttle. And surely if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that our our lives are, are so frail and uncertain. We know not what a day may bring forth. I remember reading a man who described our lives as a bit like watching the shadow on a sundial. And he was describing it, and it was so graphically put, and I won't be able to do it in the same way he did, but he was describing how the shadow passes over each hour line with an imperceptible progress. And yet with the the last moments of daylight, that, that shadow will touch the final mark. And he was saying to us, so it is with our lives, the hours, the moments of our lives, they move onward, don't they, at a silent pace. But no matter how imperceptible the march of time is in our lives, it will arrive with certainty at the very last point. It doesn't matter how thoughtless we've been in this life, death comes to us all. 
And friends, this evening, my question for you is, do you realize your frailty? Unbeliever, are you aware that one day you will have to face death? Job calls it the great king of terrors, the last enemy. And every graveyard, every tombstone, it's just a monument, isn't it, to the victory that death has in this world. And Solomon says there's a time to be born, yes, but there's also a time to die. Let me ask you this evening, are you ready for that moment? Just as a a personal word of testimony, this perhaps was something that really struck me when I was 14 years old and I looked at my grandfather and I was taken to the hospital to see him and I didn't realize at the time that he was only hours away from death. And I remember looking at him and he was an unbeliever and the hopelessness in his face and the reality of death, it hit me. I always, although it was such a, perhaps a sad moment for me and for the family, it was used by God in my life to make me realize that we're frail human beings. Do you realize that this evening? That life is so frail and there is a time for us to be born, yes, but there's also a time to die. We've seen then frailty, but notice our second word this evening, and that's sovereignty. Sovereignty. The times and the seasons, they all point to our frailty, yes, but they also point to a God who is sovereign. Solomon has drawn our attention to this great clock of destiny, that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. But the question is, well, who superintends this clock? Who has made its component parts? Who has wound it up? And the answer is very simple, it's God's. The whole passage to us is highlighting the great control and the power of Almighty God. It illuminates his providence. It's, it's, it's showing to us that God is sovereign and he is the one who reigns. We're unable to control the day of our birth. We're unable to control the day of our death. But there is one who is sovereign. There's one who sitteth upon the circle of the earth, as Isaiah says. There's one who upholds all things by the word of his power. Every event is governed by his eye. Every atom of this universe, he he moves it and controls it. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. You recall that wonderful chapter in Isaiah, chapter 40. Turn with me to that that passage. One of my favourite passages of scripture It's so poetical, it's so glorious, but it describes the omnipotence of God. We're told there that the nations, in verse 17, before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. Verse 15, behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And then he commands us to look at the stars. Look at this in verse 26. He says, lift up your eyes on high. Behold, who have created these things? That bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. You see, Isaiah says, look at this world. Lift up your eyes to the stars. Look at the hosts of heaven. God is controlling all of these things. And Solomon says the same in our passage here. We may be frail. We may be utterly utterly impotent. But we're not left to blind fate and chance. 
The events of this world are not governed by, by chance, as so many people think today. Now, everything has an order. Look at verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. The Lord reigneth, as the psalmist declares, as we read at the beginning of our uh, worship service this evening. Everything is controlled by God. He sets the boundaries. In his infinite wisdom, he's already mapped and planned out this whole year. We don't know what tomorrow might bring, but God does. And that was, of course, the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar had to come and learn. Do you remember that wonderful passage about Nebuchadnezzar and how he was humbled and he was brought low? And he came to that point, didn't he, where he had to realize his own frailty. And more importantly, he had to come and realize the sovereignty of almighty God's. In Daniel chapter 4, he says this, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High God, and I praised and honoured him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are as puted as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? See, Solomon is saying to us, God is on his throne. What about you tonight? Let me ask you this question. What what do you think about the sovereignty of God? Are you aware that there is a God who's controlling the events of this world? Perhaps you're sadly like so many in this world. You've swallowed the great lie of evolution. You think that life finds all its origins in some primordial soup that bubbled away millions of years ago. The idea that somehow this planet, you know, of all the planets in the solar system is the one that won the lottery. The one that's just the right distance from the sun to sustain life. But Solomon says to us, look, observe, look at the times, look at the seasons, look at these things. Look at all these things that take place in this world. There's a time to be born, a time to die. All of these things, the seasons and, the, and everything else is here is controlled and ordered by gods. That's what Solomon's instructing us to do. Look at, look at the order of this world. Look at the seasons. Look at everything and the pattern in this world. And you need to recognize there is one who is sovereign. There's one who is sovereignly ruling and reigning over all the affairs of this world. And notice what he says there in verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. The wheels and the cogs and the chains of God's great clock, it's beautiful. Day follows night, summer follows spring, the tide goes in, it comes out, the moon waxes, it wanes. There's this unparalleled beauty, isn't there, to to this world around us, and it screams to us, there is a God. There's a God who is ruling over all these things. Some of you here know that uh, I love nature, and I love the creation, I love looking at animals, I love looking at birds, and uh, I read I get sent uh, a number of scientific papers and things on various things to do with birds. And I was reading one recently, and it just, it, it just astounds you as you read these things, how blind man is. I was reading one about uh, a bar-tailed godwit, if you know that bird. 
And there was one recently that was recorded as flying all the way from Alaska to New Zealand non-stop. It never landed once. 11 days solidly flying, 7,500 miles. Flew at a top speed of 55 miles per hour. 11 days. It was constantly in the air for all of that time. They tell us that they can shrink their internal organs to preserve energy and, and all the wonder of it. And yet at the end of this paper, all they can do is tell you how it's evolved in this way. And yet it screams to us, doesn't it, there is a God who governs these things. They've got no idea how this bird can fly across the Pacific Ocean and never lose its way. An unbeliever, are you aware there is one who superintends this world and governs your life? You had no control over the day of your birth, but God did. And God has led you to this point tonight where you're here in this building, where you're listening to this sermon, whether you want to or not. You see, this is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. And friends, tonight we're frail creatures, and there's a sovereign creator God, and that says to us that he's a God who needs to be served. He's a God who we need to love. He deserves our homage. He deserves our praise. He's made us. He gives us life. He mercifully sustains us day by day. And yet, sinner tonight, you reject him. Let me ask you why. This is the God, you know, even though he's sovereign, he's not distant. He's not remote. He's not like the gods of, you know, some of the things that people have come up with in mythology and so on that are, that are so far distant they can't even help us. This is the God who stepped into time. This is the God who sent his son into this world. You remember what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, in the fullness of the time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. And what was his purpose? It was to redeem them that were under the law. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, he left eternity and he stepped into time to save us. Just at that precise moment that was ordained, there was a time, there was a season when God sent forth his son. It was all planned in eternity past and the purpose of it was that he might redeem, that he might buy back those who were lost and undone. That he might come and pay the price for sinners. He came to save rebellious human beings like you and me. And here's the, re the remarkable thing that that same Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was nailed to a cross. And he shed his precious blood so that we could be forgiven. And the question for us is have we trusted in him? Is this God our God's? This sovereign God who controls the times and the seasons, who governs all these things, is he our gods? Because although God is sovereign, we can know him. He might be incomprehensible, but we can know him, and we can serve him, and we can worship him, and we can love him. He's the God who stepped into time for us. My friends, this evening then we've seen... The first two of these words, we've seen our frailty and we've seen God's sovereignty. But notice with me lastly tonight, the word eternity. Eternity. The times and the seasons point 
to an eternity. We may read these words in this third chapter and think that life consists of just the same repetitive events over and over and over again. There's a monotony to this life. There's change, yes, but there's not very much variety, is there? Things move on, but there's nothing that's actually new and novel. And a bit like Solomon here in this part of the experiment, he almost gets to a point of despair. He looks out across this world and, yes, one is born and another dies and there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up and these things just seem to go round and round and round and he gets to a point where where he's just despairing. What's the point? You see, he gives to us here, doesn't he, a very brutal and honest appraisal of life. Life just goes on and on and on. But the truth of these words should make us realise that there's something more. And we realise our weakness and the fleeting nature of our, our lives on earth. It's then that we should turn our eyes heavenward and we should see the power of Almighty God. And it's then that we must conclude and acknowledge that there is something more than time. There must be this realisation within all of us that we're built for more than this world. And that there's an eternity beyond Just look at verse 11 there. This is what Solomon says here. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their hearts. And that word that's translated there as world, it might be different in the translation that you have in front of you. But it's more often translated in our Bible as everlasting or forever. So you could translate it in this way, that he have set the everlasting in their hearts. He set forever in their hearts. That word literally means something that vanishes in the distance. And Solomon says to us, look, God has placed eternity in everybody's hearts. Whether man chooses to suppress it or not, there's a realization in all of us that there is life after death. That there's an eternity There's a world to come. And the Bible reiterates this over and over again, doesn't it? That we have a soul. And that there is a heaven. And that there is a hell. And that one day we must confront and face this sovereign God who controls all these things. Hebrews tells us, doesn't it, chapter 9, that it's appointed unto man once to die. Solomon tells us that. But then what does it say? But after that, the judgments. There's coming a day, friends, when Christ will appear again and this world will just be folded up like a garment. And in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6, we're told there's a day coming when, sh- when time shall be no longer. When the clock of this world will stop. When everything that we see and observe, the times, the seasons, day changing tonight and so on, all will cease to be. And the great clock of time will be stopped forever. And we find that every now and again, don't we, something happens in world history, something happens that sends out a warning to us that that day is advancing closer and closer and closer with each passing moment. It's like when a clock chimes and God sends this world an alarm and the clock of time chimes to us and it strikes a warning note A warning to be ready and alert. And may I suggest to you that at the moment the pandemic that we're currently going through is a a gracious chiming of that clock from God. Eternity's approaching. 
It's a warning to us that one day everything's going to end. God has sent this alarm to wake us up out of our spiritual slumber, to see there is a sovereign God who controls the times and the seasons. God has graciously sent this this alarm clock so that we may cry to him for mercy. You see, that's the wonder of this pandemic, isn't it? It's not the end. He's given you another day today, friends, to, to come and trust in him. Did you know that when you woke up this morning, you're a day closer to eternity than you were yesterday? God has spared your life till now. He's showing mercy. He's showing grace. And he says to you, will you not come and and trust in me? Maybe you ask tonight, well, what must I do? What is it that I need to do as as a sinner before God? Well, I said, didn't we, that this whole book is like an experiment. Well, at at the end of an experiment, you have a conclusion. You have a summary, and and Solomon sums up his conclusion in chapter 12. Turn with me to chapter 12. It's an experiment that Solomon, we said, didn't we, try to live life without God. And he brings all his observations together, all his findings from all the different avenues that he pursued. He's, He's analyzed the data. He said, look, I've put it all together. I've worked out what it is. And he comes to a conclusion. Look at chapter 12 and verse 13. He says this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He says to us, friends, tonight, look, we need to come and fear this God and fall before him and give him homage and give him praise and serve him, we need to recognize our sin. We fail to keep his commandments. We've foolishly rejected him. We've sought to live life without him. No God for me. And of course, we deserve an eternity to be cast off from God, facing his eternal wrath. Look at that verse 14 there. Solomon says there's a judgment to come. And yet the passage that we're thinking of in chapter 3 gives us a hint as to what we must do. Everything to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. You see, Solomon is the master at providing poetry with spiritual analogies and so on. You think of that first part, a time to be born and a time to die. You know, friends, there needs to be a new birth. There needs to be a time when you're born again. And on that day, it's a day when you die to self and you die to the old man. It's a time when you plant, it's a new life planted within you, and the old man is gone. It's a time, of course, that's of weeping when you weep and mourn over your sin, but it's also a day of great joy because you rejoice in your Saviour who's died for you. You see, Solomon here gives us a a pattern that we're to follow. We need a new birth. And we need to come and trust in him. It's a day when we repent of our sin and we turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And so as I close this evening, let me ask you, have you done that? Have you realized what Solomon is just saying to us here? We're frail, yes. And there's a God who is sovereign on high and there's eternity to come, but we can come and trust in our Savior, the one who died for us. And you can come and place your all in all in him, knowing that he saves to the uttermost them that come unto God by him.
Have you humbly sought the Saviour? Well, let me implore you tonight, if you're still outside of Christ, come. Come and trust in him. You know, he's a a wonderful saviour. Someone once said, he's a wonderful saviour to me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus set me free. He's a wonderful saviour to me. And I trust and pray that all of us would heed his word tonight. And that while you still have time, that you would seek him.